Welcome to episode 10 of the Gamer's Tavern. Uh, before I start talking about this week's episode, a uh, friend of the show, Brian Patterson, who you may know through his D20 Monkey webcomic, recently underwent surgery on his knee after an accident that did not involve arrows, for the record. I just wanted to let Brian know that the thoughts and prayers of the Gamers Tavern are with him, and we all wish him a speedy recovery. Tonight's episode is about the influence film has had on gaming, and the influence gaming has had on film. So, sit back, relax, grab a drink from the bar, and settle in. We'll be back to our regular table in the corner right after this word from our sponsor. Hello gamers, I'm Daryl Mott Jr. from Anacool News Tabletop and the Gamers Tavern Podcast, which you probably know because I'm betting I was just talking a second ago. I'm sure you already know about DriveThruRPG as it is the biggest repository for digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons & Dragons, Shadowrun, Battletech, World of Darkness, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. And sometimes there are pennies on the dollar because, face it, PDFs can sometimes be so much more convenient than print copies, but if you need print copies, they sell those too. So if you want to support the Gamers Tavern podcast, click on the affiliate links in the show notes and check out DriveThruRPG. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Gamers Tavern. I'm Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us Mac Martin, and we're going to be talking tonight about gaming and film. Uh, how are you doing, Mac? I'm doing pretty great. How are you today? Doing fine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your gaming character sheet, and don't forget to include the cat smuggler. Okay. Well, <laughs> well as of today, I pulled off a caper to avoid a catastrophe. Oh, very clever. <laughs> Uh, I uh, I had to smuggle my cats to the car while my landlord wasn't looking so he wouldn't see them. It was literally a moment out of a sitcom. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, Mr. John Smith, in case your landlord is listening. <laughs> if his landlord is listening, uh If your landlord is listening, then your your market penetration is much higher than I think any of us expected. I, I would have to agree with that. He's, he's not a gamer, so... That would be uh, impressive. But what, no, would, I, what would a gamer know know you uh, from? Well, I got my start with Dark Heresy, as you know. Uh, Ross actually gave me the start in the industry. Uh, I worked with him over on the 40K roleplay, and, and after a few books, I, was, uh, I took the wheel on Dark Heresy. Then I got to work with some really great guys and put out uh, Dust Warfare. I, I got to be kind of the driving force on that one. And then most recently, I put out Malfo 2nd Edition, and soon... Uh, through the breach, the Malfoy RPG should be coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's fair to say Mac and I have worked together for quite a while. I think every single thing he just mentioned, with the exception of Malfoy Second Edition, he and I worked together on it. So yeah, in some capacity, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's great to have you on the show, Mac. Thanks for joining us tonight. And what oh, is um, if people want to find you on the internet and see what you're working on these days, uh, where do they go? Well, uh, I work for Weird now, so it's uh, weird-games.net. But I'm also on Facebook under Mac Martin. You'll You'll see my bearded face uh, smiling next to my Grey Knights, so uh, you should be able to spot me if you just wanted to search me. But are you a neckbeard? No, I actually shave the neck part. <laughs> good man, good man. Good man. I, 
I uh, but I do glue it in between the eyebrows. Oh, just just to get that that Crow Magnum look. I'm telling you, it's coming back. <laughs> Paleo is back, baby. Okay, fashion is cyclical. All the way back to caveman era. Okay, so tonight we're we're talking about gaming and film, and I think you know maybe we want to start with like inspiration and influences and whatnot because I mean obviously film came before what we typically consider role playing games and gaming in general these days. But it's clear to me that there's... I, I would dis- well I would disagree with that. Well, all right. As we know it today. Why don't you Why don't you elaborate on that? Little Wars by Little Wars by Jules Verne predates Touché. the uh, first motion picture. Okay, so no, 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 no. That's <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's right. that's a totally valid point. So, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> I'm from, a jerk. Modern interpretation <laughs> of gaming and role playing games. I think film, you know, is, is probably in general, more of the influencer. Yeah. But of late, I think we are seeing more and more films that are being impacted by gaming. Um, specifically, like the most recent one I can think of is one called uh, Zero Charisma and uh, The Gamers and things like that. Gamers just came out with a third movie and it is hilarious. It is. It's great. It's yeah. Oh, I, I loved it. I, I found myself desperately wanting to play that card game. I I have watched the trilogy of The Gamers film. I mean, yeah, we're, we're like you know, we're skipping way, way down the bullet. Sorry. Analysis, but that's fine. The, I'm the, here to derail the, things. The games, the, the movie specifically about games, which is like, you know, the gamers are in that category. Uh, I love them. I love them to death. I have seen like a ton of them. I've seen um, Life with a Dice Bag. I've seen Thaco. I've seen, you know, all the gamers trilogy. I've seen, uh, there, there's just a ton of titles. And um, they're all really, really interesting to watch. There's some great, there's a documentary called The Dungeon Masters. Patton Oswalt know, uh, actually introduced me to that one. Of the, when I met him at a comedy yeah. club, he introduced me to that one. He described it to me. He spent like 10 minutes going on about it. Uh, and this was before it had come out. I was just doing the festival circuit at the time. And he just described this one scene to me. When I'm watching the movie, all I can do is facepalm watching it because it's about this group that had been playing Dungeons and Dragons in the same campaign with the same characters for years. And yeah, yeah. And then something happens and uh, they do something that the dungeon master doesn't like. So he just says, okay, well, give me your character sheets. That was a sphere of annihilation. You're all dead. And for 10 years, these people do not talk to each other at all. Their friendships dissolve. They've been gaming every single week for years. And then just, don't talk to each other. And this documentary filmmaker found them all and brought them all together and filmed the most tense and joyless game of Dungeons and Dragons that has ever been played the, in the history the of The reunion ever. game was, it was very awkward. Oh, that yeah. sounds fantastic. Well, one of the guys that was in the Dungeon Masters, a guy named Scott Corum, he was the, uh, the really creative one who was kind of wanting to write his own novel and things like that. He's actually a guy I see at Gen Con an awful lot because he's like actually working in the industry now. Um, I think he's taken, you know, some really big steps forward thanks to the Dungeon Masters documentary, which I think is, is at least you know there's some positive news to come out of that film. But let me okay, so let's let's get back around to this this idea of influence. Mac, can you think of like what's what's the first movie you think of that influenced you as a gamer, like like in the things that you do as? A gamer? Ooh, I would have to say Robot Jocks. Oh, good choice. <laughs> As a and kid. I say it was on my list. Oh my god, I remember that film. I've actually okay. watched a review okay. of it not that Mac, long ago. Mac, I have to ask. Battletech player? I had never heard of it. But I saw Robot Jocks as a kid. 
Then like three years later, I saw Battletech in the store. And so I, uh-huh. and it was just that thin rule book. It wasn't the full one. It didn't have any, like barely had any of the history, but it was in like a Borders or a Barnes and Noble, you know, where they had all the, they had the tech sheets, uh, half size books that to me were the same size as the Garfield books I read at the library. Uh, and, and I saw that, that, uh, Battletech on there and I'm like, yes, that is think, yeah, I want this. And I asked my parents to buy it for me and it was a book. So I didn't even think anything other. They'd be like, yeah, sure. It's 20 bucks or something. They bought it. Um, and I remember what struck me is I'd just seen robot jocks and I'd grown up racing home in the fourth grade. So this is after that. I was like 12 or 13. We saw robot jocks, but I raced home when I was in the fourth grade, third and fourth grade, something like that, to see the Power Hour on TV now for, or Power Two Hour, something like that. It was cartoons, which was, you know, He-Man, G.I. Joe, Thundercats, and Robotech. Yeah. So here for the very first time, I had just seen Robot Jocks. I've got this Battletech book. I'm flipping through it, and I get to the Veritex, which were obviously in no way stolen, right? The the, the VTOL. The the Land Air Lamb, that's it. Lambs, yes. They had a legal license for them, but they didn't get the license from the American licensor. They they got a license from Bandai. They didn't get it from Harmony Gold, and that was a decade worth of court cases. Let's just say right? it's a very complicated case of of how that uh, how that came about because it is extremely complicated. But um, but actually, yeah. it's what's so funny about that is uh, my cousin Austin and I. The rules were so dense at the time. That I didn't actually, I wasn't actually able to play that game for, I want to say, another two years. It just sat on a shelf, and I wasn't able to play it because we didn't have any miniatures. Uh, I didn't yep. know what, how to play it. We couldn't really get through the rules because my cousin Austin didn't want to read them, and then he just wouldn't trust me, and it was a whole thing. We actually ended up started playing Battletech with our Legos, and then we threw out the rules and just <laughs> built our own rule set. So the very first role-playing game I ever played or uh, miniatures game I ever played was one designed thanks to robot jocks based on the pictures we had in Battletech and some of the loosest information like, well, this is going to be our stats for a Goss weapon. Nice. You know, and what, played with Legos. Robot jocks was also, you know, very important to me too. I'm going to go there. And, and I'm going to say this. I love Battletech. I'm a big fan of Battletech. But you know what it still does not have? A butt in the shower scene? Rocket fists. <laughs> You can't right? fire your fist off at somebody and smack them. After all these years, you'd think it'd show up in one of the tech Well, reacts. you remember Robot Jocks is an awesome scene where that guy does that. <laughs> you know, he fires his fist off as a rocket. It, it's like crazy anime fun, but, you know, it's one of the best scenes from Robot Jocks is that. that uh, I bet you if I dug through one of the newer Solaris source books, it'd be in there. You know, it might, but it's never been. Let's just put it this way. It's never been something I think that most gamers are even aware of as, as an option. Uh, I think the problem you guys are hitting is is it's not an option. All of the mechs do it. You just you just have to <laughs> declare it. It's it's like a walk action. Well, I want to be you know let's let's let me say something else too. Um, BattleTech just recently came out with a new type, new way to play the game. Basically, it's called Alpha Strike, and it is a thing of beauty in how elegant and quick and easy it is to learn. And just uh, it it really changed my whole perspective on BattleTech and fixed about fixed about eighty five percent of my issues with with you know the game uh which is pretty old you know the the standard game is kind of uh getting a little creaky in the joints but but alpha strike first to fourth edition they didn't update very much at all alpha strike is is like i would say if you're a fan of battletech you haven't looked at it in a long time uh definitely go check out the alpha strike see what you think but thank you for that answer that was a very very good answer um daryl 
Daryl, what was the first film that really influenced you as a gamer? Here's the thing. I don't really have one in terms of that influenced me in games, per se, because I started really getting into film and really getting into gaming around the same time and independently. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when I was starting to get into gaming, that's when there was kind of this lull in terms of movies that were coming out that were kind of cool and gamery-esque, like the early 90s. There wasn't really much going on then. I mean, now, this was also the time when the Battletech cartoon series was coming on Saturday mornings at like 6.30 in the morning. Oh my god. For a good reason, because that show sucked. No, oh, come on. Wait, 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 wait. This is going to become like the Battletech episode, oh. even though just it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> but the Battletech cartoon had some beautiful things in it. And I love it. Tried. Well, okay. Let me let me take you back for just to the opening, right? You got this. You know, the the clans are invading the entire inner sphere. Like all of the known worlds in the galaxy are are are, are under a threat, right? And the main character for the BattleTech cartoon is like, yeah, but then they invaded my home planet. He like he was like the 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 the, the Chuck Norris of early Saturday morning cartoons. And that may also have been what put me <laughs> off on it was that I was always a Jade Falcon fan. <laughs> And they were the bad guys. They were. They you were, know, and they were cartoon bad guys too. They were very, you know, the, you know, Cobra Commander. But you know, my problem with that show was what's that? It uh, aired opposite of Gummy Bears. Oh, uh, where <laughs> I was. And let me tell you, uh, after one episode of BattleTech, I was. Uh, I chose. I chose Gummy Bears as a kid. Bouncing here and there, and everywhere. bouncing here and there, everywhere. Uh, you know, Gummy Bears is a high quality cartoon. Uh, I think there are things in the BattleTech cartoon that were really fun. And, and really neat, but um, yeah, overall, I think it's fair to say that there were a lot of better shows on. Let's just put that way. Well, I, I, tried, I just tried rewatching it recently, and well, it has not aged well at no. all. But I did, now that I was th sitting there thinking about what you were talking about, I'm like, wait a minute. No, there were uh, uh, probably two or three, maybe four movies that I watched that really influenced me, but it wasn't in terms of that you guys were talking about Battletech. The first thing that popped in my mind were movies that I saw long after I got into gaming, you know. I didn't watch Conan or any of those movies until I was already... Actually, I watched Conan for the first time like two years ago. So, I didn't see any of those. That typically, everyone's... That's what kind of got them interested in that sort of sword and sorcery fantasy. We're nope. talking about the 1983 Conans, which you saw a couple of years ago. So, Yes, not, yes. The, 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 the Conan movie. Not so, As far as I know, there's only been two of them. So, one not the good half. one. Uh, Kram! I have never read to you. I have no tongue for it. <laughs> that version. How exactly do you become an awesome pit fighter by pushing a wheel in a circle for two decades? Because he's awesome. Isn't that how Hector Ortiz did it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, you, but anyway, it, I, I did think of two movies, uh, two, three, four movies from the late eighties, early nineties that did really influence me, but it influenced me in a different game. Uh, I'm going to throw out two immediately and two that I didn't watch until a little bit later. But the first movie I ever saw in the movie theaters was Fright Night. Oh, good which one. Was one. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it is also one of the first movies that took the vampire mythology and put it in a modern day setting without, you know, Dracula in the cape and Ivan Tuzakio blood. No, uh, Jerry Dandridge was a pretty normal-ish guy, except for the fact he was a bloodthirsty vampire. This is the one with, uh, this is the original, the one with Roddy McDowell in it. There was not a sequel, even though David Tennant was awesome in the sequel, but... Well, there was a remake, as he far was as about, I'm aware of it. He was, he, or the, I'm sorry, the remake. Yeah, the remake was, there was a sequel, too, that very few people know about, but, you know. 
but the one of the other movies that came out around the same time was The Hunger, mm-hmm. which was another very modern take on vampires. And I watched that as a very young David age. David Bowie, right? I probably shouldn't. I probably should not have watched that at a very young age, but. <laughs> And then right around that same time, uh, two more movies came out right as I was really getting to gaming and probably pushed me off the deep end into White Wolf, which were Interview with the Vampire and The Crow. Yeah, you know what? I was going to mention The Crow and how that pushed me into White Wolf as well. The Crow is a beautiful film. I mean, I it's it's. It's funny because I keep looking at that film and I keep watching it and I keep enjoying the hell out of it, but I keep thinking in the back of my head, would it have resonated as strongly if it wasn't you know, inextricably tied in with the horrible tragedy of its main star's death. And I, I, I can t- I can tell you, I've read the actual original shooting script of The Crow, and it's a horrible, horrible thing to say because it's an absolute tragedy what happened. It, it is. was a stupid mistake by people who were overworked and tired and weren't thinking properly. The I can go into detail about exactly what happened, exactly what caused it, and the court documents and blah, blah, but... I've read the original shooting script, and the finished product is a much stronger film because they had to shoot around Brandon Lee so much. And, you know, what's funny. There, were, yeah, the, there was a lot in that yeah. that was cut, uh, like the Skull Cowboy. Well, the the yeah. the, the thing is, is like, that I think. would not have worked. I think if it, if it, you know, I agree with you that it was a horrible tragedy, and, and I wish it, you know, if I could, could change things, I would make it to where that didn't happen. But, you know, appreciating what we have, I have to say, I think. If it wasn't for that tragedy, The Crow would be remembered mostly as a fairly average action film instead of the... With a inc- fucking awesome soundtrack. Well, okay, maybe. But it, it became... I think the way it is now is it's become sort of a genre-defining... Uh, you know, it is a real classic. It's a classic film. Aesthetic-defining. Aesthetic... It, that whole sort well, of shooting like it's black and white but still being in color. Yeah. Gothy yeah. sort of thing. Where... The Matrix took most of its style pretty much from uh, Proyas, both in no, that and in Dark City. Let me hop in there for you, Ross. I saw The Crow in theaters. My friend Jimmy Lujan and I went and saw it. And he got us in because he was old enough to get tickets, and then we both went and saw it. And I did not know that Brandon Lee had died, but I had read the comics. I thoroughly enjoyed the film. It was one of my favorite like out there. It's still to this day... Like, if I was trapped on a desert island, I've been asked that question, what one movie would you watch every day? I, I consistently answer The Crow. It actually is, you know, that dark pleasure, that that favorite movie for me. But I didn't know Brandon Lee had died when I saw it, and I didn't know for about a year and a half after, until finally I remarked to one of my friends, like, man, when are they going to come out with another Crow movie? <laughs> and he was like, well, never. The main character died. And I literally went, wait, what? <laughs> and... Like, I didn't know that he died during the shooting. Like, I, you know, I was, what, 15? I didn't know I was an idiot. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it had that resonance for me. So maybe it could have gone, it would have gone down, at least in its form, if, you know, assuming the audiences didn't know that, that Brandon Lee had passed. Guess it's not a good day to be a bad guy, huh, Skag? <laughs> Skank. Skank, yeah, sorry. It's, I, it's a fantastic film. Love it. I still say to double. I still say uh, to Devil's Night, my new favorite holiday is a joke when we do toasts. Wow! No one ever gets it. Wow. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw oh. mine out there. Like the one film I, I, I saw I, when I, I was a I kid. I have one more thing to say. Oh, go ahead. Hold on. I I just had one more thing to say about the crow. Talk about uh, what might have been. Do you know what Brandon Lee's next role was supposed to be after the crow? He'd already signed the contracts. What was? Oh, it? you're gonna make me upset. Tell me. Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat. 
Huh. Oh, that would have made think, that movie think so about much how better. That movie would, think about how much better that movie would have been if it had an actual charismatic actor in any of the roles in that movie. Oh, it would have been so much better. Wait, are you saying that, uh, are you saying the Highlander is not a charismatic guy? Are you saying that, that Claymation film. Goro was not a charismatic guy? <laughs> Claymation Goro was the most charismatic <laughs> actor in that movie. I have a, okay, I, I consider the first Mortal Kombat to be a guilty pleasure, and I really enjoy it, so there's that. It's a, it's, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Don't get me it's, wrong. But the it's, theme songs with, uh, the, the soundtrack with KMFDM, though, you can't go wrong. The soundtrack is, is Another, the best part. Yeah. So, all right, going back to like the films that influenced us in gaming, I think uh, for me, uh, there's only one choice, and that would be Jumanji. Crawl. Crawl was the first movie when I saw, it, and I, I started my gaming at a very young age. My dad had introduced me to uh, uh, the uh, Thomas Covenant novels when I was like six, and I saw Crawl when I was eight. And my dad had just, you know, got me the uh, the red box uh, of Dungeons Dragons, and I was just watching Crawl, and I'm thinking in my head. This is what, you know, a fantasy adventure is like. Now, granted, I think Krull's ending is really, really, really bad. But most of the <laughs> film, still in my mind, is, is like an epic journey. It's an epic quest. It's the hero, and, you know, he's learning, and he runs into his unlikely allies, and you can almost pay like, some of the classes, these guys. Like, well, that dude's a wizard, that dude's a thief, you know. And I, I just, uh, the monsters, especially the slayers, uh, I, I probably ran maybe 20 different campaigns when I was, you know, uh, in, in uh, grade school and junior high, featuring the Slayers as bad guys, because I thought they were awesome. Um, it, so Crawl, yeah, Crawl was definitely the film that, is, especially, like, it's it's visuals. Story not so much, but the visuals and the, uh, the overall tone and feel they were trying to go for, I think, is what I was trying to reach for when I was starting my journey as a game. Yeah, there was a whole genre of movies that came out right about the same time that influenced a lot of people and probably a lot of game writers as well during that era, like Crawl, Conan, Beast. Okay, Master, so we're talking about yeah, we're uh, talking about the sword and sandals era of the eighties. Absolutely, yeah. There was a whole Willow, bunch of man. fantasy novels. Willow was that fantasy, one for me. Fantasy movies in that time period. Well, Willow's a little bit later in that period. Um, and it's also supposed to be an epic fantasy. It was uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg couldn't get the rights to The Hobbit. <laughs> so they made Willow instead. Well, um, I think like I think the the quintessential ones you nailed already, like Conan and Beastmaster. Those are those are very obviously those fantasy films that, you know, I think they modeled the Ranger off of the you know Beastmaster pretty close. Hawk the Slayer is a fantastic film from that era for gaming because it it hits a lot of those notes as far as these guys are you know different classes and whatnot. And for when I was a kid, I go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, when I was a kid, I saw Ladyhawk. I think is what it is. Oh, Ladyhawk. One where yeah. the guys, yep, what the guy with the guys a wolf during the day, she's a hawk at night, or vice versa. Yep, double crossbow, and it has the weirdest yeah. uh, synthesizer soundtrack. But it's, it's actually a good film. When I was a kid, I saw that, or not a kid, I saw it when I was like twenty-two, and the first, my only thought was, <laughs> "Wow, this is the worst <laughs> pair of lone wolf campaigns I've ever seen." <laughs> Excalibur was also kind oh, of yeah. in that time frame. Uh, Labyrinth. If you want to talk about movies that were in that were bringing in gamers, were Labyrinth and uh, one that just popped in my head, The Dark Crystal. Oh yes, oh, The yeah. Dark Crystal. The Gartham are one of the are the yeah the Gartham. Those are the big crab dudes. Those are really scary you, monsters, man. You can fly. I can't fly. Of course not. You're a boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the Dark Crystal is another really good example. I, I've actually used um, Ogre's Orrery as a setting for Accursed not so long ago. You know that Orrery, the, or is that what it is? What is the thing with all the moving... Yeah, I, I like to say called? it's an Orrery. Yeah, I can never say it right. That, to me, that scene in that room with the, you know, the spinning planets and all that kind of stuff, that sums up to me what, like, every time I go, go through play True Dungeon, and I love True Dungeon, but every time I play through it, that's what I'm waiting for. You want to see that? I want, I want to solve that. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I can't imagine how much money that sort of thing would cost, and I don't expect it of them, but... Uh... How about, Man, wouldn't that be cool? How about uh, Heavy Metal? Heavy Metal, I thought, was... I, I remember we had lots of conversations gaming about Heavy Metal. I wasn't allowed to see it. Oh. Aww. Um, it's, and uh, I haven't ever gone and seen it. So. It's worth watching yeah. sometime, uh, I would say. It's It's gone from being epic cool to kind of cheesy cool, but it's still really, really cool. The Loch Nahr. The, the, it, it, <laughs> okay, I'll that, check it out. That movie actually st- that movie actually stands the test of time. The sequel. For, avoid a, avoid the out. sequel. Watch the original. It's it's definitely uh, quite good. Heavy Heavy Metal two thousand is not worth the time to watch the trailer, let alone the movie itself. Well, there's no hate wow. on this podcast. Yeah. There's we there are certain things we were disappointed with, but you know, there's no hate. But <laughs> the, the first the first one was a great like anthology style Agreed. fantasy sci-fi epic john candy is a voice um in that film nice. uh, eugene levy yeah. and uh oh, there's a t- there's a ton of names you'd recognize i can't even think of them all and of course you can't say anything about heavy metal without talking about this the soundtrack, soundtrack is, is a thing of beauty uh veteran of the psychic wars by blue is cult is still a fantastic song but that is a book i want to read <laughs> yeah you know I, w- I would read it so yeah, the, there's um so, so the Sword and Sandal movies. There's a really super cheesy one called Sorceress from 1980. And if you ever just or you know want to see something like uh, it's just crazy cheesy from the 80s, look up the uh, the trailer on YouTube because it will it, it it is it is the essence of that. There's the Sword and the Sorcerer uh, as well. Am I missing? I'm sure I'm missing a couple more. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. I can always well, go with the uh, Arthurians. Like, well, we we mentioned a scholar. We did we also about... go back to the the Disney movie uh, Sword in the Stone. Yes. Yeah. Well, the the epic battle in Sword in the Stone between the two shapeshifters is is probably one of the. I think from gaming perspective, that's probably the part that I always like the most. Yeah, not to shift gears on you guys, but why does that make me think of Barbed Wire and Johnny Mnemonic? Well, those and are Tank Girl. Okay, now, yeah, well, we're now we're in a different era, and we're talking about a different genre, but those are Sorry, definitely... Cyberpunk. I, no, those are, it's fine. You want to... It's fine. That's definitely films that have influenced the genre, for sure. You want to talk the, probably, in my opinion, the three biggest ones that influenced the cyberpunk genre in terms of gaming were Blade Runner, Escape from New York, and Robocop. Oh, yeah. Blade Runner is pretty much like, the vi- in terms of visual style, I think Blade Runner is almost un- undeniably the father of, of cyberpunk. You know what I've been watching, like, that's on the air right now that has made me want to play Shadowrun or Cyberpunk so hard has been that new uh, Almost Human show. The one with Carl Urban. I haven't seen that yet. It, okay, I don't want to oversell it because it's only three episodes in. (laughs) I don't. Everyone's overselling it. Don't worry about it. I don't, I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I like it more than Firefly because I haven't seen Firefly recently enough. And it's only had three episodes, so I can't make that claim. But I want to. Okay, well, that's a Every, strong everyone is ta- Everyone I know is talking about that show, and I'm 
it's on my list to do. I've, I've got a long holiday week right now. We're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, so I'm off for four days, so I'm planning on digging into that. Well, I the think first three episodes are on Hulu. Go, go, so, go. So, Mac, you oh, yeah. had a really great point about shifting gears into cyberpunk, because I do. I think we should talk about cyberpunk for a while. And Daryl brought up Blade Runner, Escape from New York, Robocop. What about you? What are some things that you think of when you're thinking of, of cyberpunk? And you've already mentioned... I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk about barbed wire and Johnny Mnemonic, you can go right ahead. So for for me, those two were the big ones because the characters were so flawed. Uh, one uh, acting was terrible. Well, Johnny Mnemonic does have a dolphin. Yeah. I, well, what I really liked in well, here, here's barbed the wire about, was the, the character about, who's. Oh, sorry. The thing about Johnny Mnemonic is, you know, your movie's in trouble when Henry Rollins is the one who's acting the best. <laughs> I liked which, I, by the way, I cannot recommend enough. Go look up the original short story, Johnny Mnemonic. It is an amazing story, and the film just it tried really, really hard, but it just didn't do it justice because of a lot of various things that were going on in the production. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a Philip K. Dick, correct? Uh, no, that's um, um, William, um, Gibson. William Gibson. William Gibson. Okay, it's part of his. It's part of his trilogy uh, with because. Uh, What's uh, the, Neur- the Neuromancer and lady in that? Mona Lisa Overdrive, I believe. Yeah, Molly the, Millions. The cyber yeah, well, the cyber up just, Molly was supposed to be Millions. Molly from Blade uh, from a uh, not Blade Runner. Neuromancer. That's Philip K. Dick. Neuromancer. Thank you. Sorry, Mac. You were you there were saying all your nerd please, cred. Please proceed, Mister Martin. Oh no, I was just saying that uh, those characters I loved because they were so flawed, like like the wired reflexes that are going going off the off the you know that are that are short circuiting and you know one of the characters being Pamela Anderson. <laughs> uh well Casablanca and Cyberpunk. She she does have some undeniably uh filmable talents. Only the two? <laughs> uh well here's the thing. I think I I'm not sure which came first, but we already had that Cyberpunk rule book that was nothing but Barbie dolls dressed up in Cyberpunk gears. That so came after. Third one or the one or the other. That we one, don't need both. The the dolls one was actually pretty recent. Although in fairness, I want to say that I I've, I've been told that Pamela Anderson is nothing but uh, a sweet human being, so I shouldn't be too mean to her. Well, yeah, there is no hate on this podcast, you know. If <laughs> address your emails <laughs> to or Ross at gamerstavern.org. But I think the thing for me, like cyberpunk wise, let's talk about um, the Matrix. Mm. I think that was a very strong uh, cyberpunk that oriented. That didn't film. influence cyberpunk gaming nearly as much as it influenced cyberpunk gamers. And there's fair an- another movie that came point. out. There's another movie that came out of probably about three or four years later called Equilibrium. Oh which God, was which okay. was before Batman and before American Psycho it was one of uh, Christian Bale's big breakout movies. Love and it is such a great movie and it was no. just dumped on the market yeah. unceremoniously because the studio had already made the profit pre-selling the rights overseas and they didn't want to do a big advertising campaign and possibly lose money on it if it flopped but it's gotten a cult following since then but both The Matrix and Equilibrium created at least in every Shattering I've ever played the invasion of the dark trench-coated gunkata adepts. Thank you. Right, I I hate Equilibrium. I have nothing against Tate Diggs. <laughs> I have nothing against Christian Bale. I hate the fact that I cannot run Shadowrun without someone going. Can I play a, a gun adept? I think you're crazy. I think that's awesome. I, I think Equilibrium. I love gun adepts. I think Equilibrium I, is a fantastic film, and I and I like gun adepts too. I have to say, as soon as I saw that movie, I'm like, I'm making that character. For me, that was the first thing. Yeah. For me, it's a little bit like having to explain 
every time we go, let's play D&D, and then three of your players go, fantastic, I'm going to play a Dark Elf Ranger who uses scimitars. Can I have a pet panther? Okay, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, it's been overdone. Yeah. And, and that's, that's there are certain things that have hit, you know, certain mems, let's say, that are prevalent in gaming culture that, you know, maybe have caused overexposure. Oh. And, you know, Drizzadorden is one of those. And I, I, would, I would agree with you definitely that Gunkata, Gun Adepts, in Black Trench Coats, is also one of those. Although, to get back I to your agree. positive spin, the scene where he goes into the room where she's hold like that memory room, I don't know what to call it, where in, in Equilibrium, she's, where that woman is storing all her memories. and all like, Yeah, the, 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 the uh, objects that cause emotions. Yeah, the feelings room, if you will. Yeah. Um, the scene where he goes into that and has to control himself, having never controlled his emotions before was one of the most subtle and, just, and nuanced performances I've seen in a long time. Because he takes off his glove and just slowly yeah. caresses everything in that room yeah. while keeping a completely straight face. And... Yeah. And you see him later on, you know, walking up the, the stairs, and he's, he's got his glove off, and he's now touching, you know, other things. But, yeah, it, it was a really... There was a lot of really great performances in that. Sean Bean obviously turned in a fantastic performance. Um, oh, Sean Bean. Yeah. The person who got me in so much trouble when he got cast in Game of Thrones... <laughs> because I hadn't read the books, I hadn't read the books. But the second I saw Sean Bean was the main character on Spoilers. Game of Thrones, I kept spoiler alert. I kept asking, I think the, and I don't know why it's a, this is what I got in trouble for. Were spoilers because because I kept asking. So is Sean Bean dead yet? Is Sean Bean dead yet? Is Sean Bean dead yet? <laughs> yes, he because is. he dies in every movie he's in. That, not on, every, people. not every movie. Most name so. one. Uh he was oh movie so that commercially did when he was seventeen doesn't count. Yeah, the Sharp no. series doesn't count. Sharp uh, doesn't count. Uh, but yeah, every movie and the only one anyone has ever been able to come up with is Ronin, which is another influence on the kind of heisty Shadowrun type. Ro- games. Ronin is totally a Shadowrun movie. The Usual Suspects uh, is yes. the one I go back to every time when I'm trying to explain what a Shadowrun is like. I'm like, well, have you seen The Usual Suspects? But Ronan's the only one anyone's ever been able to come up with just because he doesn't die on screen. But the whole point in that movie is, again, spoiler alert for a movie that's, what, 15, 20 years old now, is that his character is a faker who's gotten onto this thing trying to get rich quick. And they find him out and they kick him out of the group. Now, in this group of hardened, toughened badasses, do you really think his body wasn't found with two shots to the back of the head a week (laughs) later? Well, the thing that, you know, the, th- the reason why Ronin resonates very strongly with me is um, actually in, in our gaming group back in uh, in Maryland, we had a quote from that movie to describe a bad plan. And the quote was, shooters here, shooters here. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. But it's it's it was always a great line if we're like, this plan sucks, we would start saying, so shooters here and shooters here. <laughs> All right, here's, or what, what color is the boathouse? You know, that was another good line. Here's one for you. The most influence I've ever had on any Shadowrun game, or the movie that's actually influenced one in progress, and just our Shadowrun game took a hard turn to the left and was never the same again, but we loved it afterwards, was Bad Boys 2. Huh. Interesting choice. The, uh, well, if you want to talk pink mohawk right there. Yeah. Pink, pink mohawk, that's a good way to put it, yeah. It ju- it uh, the, the big hit. Yes. The big hit is a really, that for me, if I want to say like what Pink Mohawk is all about, I would say the big hit. And if you don't know what that is, that's a uh, Mark Wahlberg film that stars Lou Diamond Phillips as the bad guy. Oh, I remember that now. It's great. And it has some, it has a really excellent scene, again, that's quoted very often in our Shadowrun games of uh, 
Well, how are they going to trace the call? Well, no, I have the trace buster. Well, what if they have a trace buster buster? <laughs> yeah, and and it it it, it kind of escalates from there. But um, yes, it's it's a very interesting, worthwhile film if you're curious about uh, that particular style of game. Okay, so Mac, um, we've talked about fantasy, we've talked about cyberpunk, and we've talked a little bit about you know sort of the later and earlier epochs of both of those. What about something like sci-fi? If you could think of a game that, or a movie that's influenced a game for you in the sci-fi genre, what would that be? Wow. Uh, can I, I, I'm going to try and not say Star Wars. That's the biggest problem. Is... <laughs> <laughs> you could say Star Wars. I mean, obviously totally Star, Wars, Star Wars, right? Uh, it's the hero's journey, which is the basis of every role-playing game. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just Star Wars, right? What do you say? It's Star Wars. But oddly enough, the game... We're talking about episode four here, just to be clear. Four through Star six, Wars, yes. Star Wars, the movie called Star Wars. A New uh, Hope. A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Right. The Holy Trinity. Ewoks and Ewoks Battle for Endor. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, holiday special in there? I, never, oh, I, did, I did not see you that. You just cursed this entire podcast, Daryl. I, I had to do it. I had to do it. It's not, it doesn't count because it's not film. You know, you, know who, <laughs> you know who gave me? I had never seen it, and Jay Little gave me a copy of that. And I'll never oh. forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> it is soul destroying. No, but when I when I don't look at, except for Star Wars, like I've never tried to run a Star Trek style game, anything like that. The only media that wasn't a tabletop game that influenced my tabletop games was a video game. The Mass Effect trilogy really oh. influenced the way I I run sci fi now. Okay, uh, interesting. That Mass Effect is a is a very strong influence i think in general in terms of storytelling and 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 can meaningful choices and things like that so i can definitely see how that can impact the game unfortunately it's not really a film so i mean it doesn't it really count really our, yeah. yeah unfortunately it doesn't really count but um no that's a good point to bring that up because there really should be a i think they're um they're working on it they're working right? on it they're working on it yeah. oh they're i can't wait live action ghost in the shell well you know okay anime is uh is also acceptable and ghost in the shell is totally cy- cyberpunk it is Definitely cyberpunk. Yeah, 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 if you want to talk about where some of the visuals from the Matrix come from, look at two different movies. Uh, the follow-up to The Crow that uh, Alex Proyas did, which was called Dark City, which pretty much solidified the aesthetic of the movie to the point where they reused some sets from that movie on the rooftop chase scenes. Uh, and the other is Ghost in the Shell. Uh, the scene at the end, the battle is very reminiscent of each other in terms of hiding behind columns while automatic fire is going off. Yeah. Watch those two side by side and you'll go, oh, that's where they got it. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caution you a little bit. I'm going to say that, like, visuals-wise and feel-wise, I think Ghost in the Shell is a very fantastic film. In terms of, like, an actual storytelling, an actual, like, entertaining experience, I don't think it really succeeds very well. And I think the sequel actually does a little bit better on that. Uh, Ghost in the Shell Innocence. I don't think uh, we're ever going to talk again. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, and I, that's I, the show. I, Thanks, I really, everybody, I really, for listening. I really, liked, I really liked the story of Ghost in the Shell. I mean, it wasn't that deep or that great, but well, I, no, the thing was, Ghost, I came off of Ghost in the Shell following up Akira, which well, is another tried... cyberpunk dystopian thing. Yeah, and well, Akira... Trust me, nothing's going to let you down after watching the ending to Akira, where you're okay. just sitting there going... Huh, what the fuck? <laughs> you, make, you make some good points about Akira, but I think, you know, where Ghost in the Shell for me falls down, and again, you know, no hate, just disappointment, you know, in, in terms of some things, but uh, where for me it falls down is I felt like, and, and this is partially because I know Mazumune Shiro a little bit, you know, I've, I've read almost all of the 
manga he's ever made. Um, but Masamu Shiro, who's the creator of Ghost in the Shell, he was trying to tell something very high concept. He was trying to bring across some extremely high level uh, concepts to the to the art to the the audience, and it just comes off, in my opinion, it comes off very pretentious and very like, well, let me explain because you're not smart enough to understand, you know. And I just don't think it. Uh, I so don't it's think like it really. Every worked. Philip K. Dick adaptation ever. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. No, well, there's some Philip K. Dick aside, aside from Blade Runner, aside from Blade Runner. Blade okay, Runner's well, Blade Runner is like a whole different conversation because I think also Blade Runner is a better style. It, it's a better uh, it's it's a better beginner of a style and a better visual, you know, experience than it is like an actual movie movie. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna save you some hate mail though, Ross, uh, okay. by mentioning Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. I which think he beat me to it, which is the television series, which I think really helped having the long form to not come off pretentious. Oh no, no, no! I I totally agree yeah. with you. Standalone Complex is brilliant. I love yeah. Standalone Complex. I think, in terms of like my favorite Ghost in the Shell watching experience, it's absolutely standalone. It's Complex. the extra four hours of time, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Um. Anyway, so I'm sorry I kind of got off on my soapbox with uh, Ghost in Shell, but that's we, we just, just kind of how I feel. We came right yeah, back to Cyberpunk. This is... Do we like Star? Do we like sci-fi that isn't Cyberpunk? Because I just realized I I like Star, Star Wars, I like Star Trek, and then I like Cyberpunk stuff. Well, we were we uh, we I've mentioned. Got... Go ahead. I was gonna say I've got uh, when you said you've never been able to base a game off of Star Trek. I have in Deep Space Nine. Ooh, good, yes. Because it's a lot more campaign-ish in that you're not, it's not hat of the week, planet of the week. You're not, at the end of the show, uh, set a course for such and such. Mm, engage. At the end of every episode of every show. No, it is, okay, we've solved this problem and caused five more. Shit. <laughs> and it just keeps snowballing in the whole series. It is really, really great. And it's really great to base a campaign off in another series that's very similar that actually has a role-playing game for it, uh, which is Babylon 5. Which I can't admit to of having watched it. I tried watching it one time and the the style is the style and the special effects look a little dated for, from a modern perspective now. But I do really want to give it a proper shot. That Babylon Five is one of those things that takes a little while to get going, but it, it, it starting season two and forward, it's it's pretty pretty spectacular. If Sam but, Stewart, um, if Sam Stewart listens to your show and we don't mention Farscape, he'll stab us. It's true, <laughs> but again, Farscape is the television series. It had um, a two-hour movie, didn't it? Oh, there's nothing wrong with TV series. Well, all right, let's if we want to pick some hairs, you know, uh, split hairs, I should say. We want to go with yeah. theater movies. I I would prefer. I mean, that's just you know, in terms of like what. In terms of film, I mean that's kind of what I think of when I think of film is a is a, is a theater movie. So like uh, Wing Commander and Super Mario Brothers. Technically, those both count, and actually, <laughs> Wing Commander. I love the soundtrack to Wing Commander. I'm just gonna say that I, I do adore the soundtrack. Every time anyone says Wing Commander, I I think of it for about three. I think of that one. Uh, I think they they were one of the first ones to use the prototype of the like bullet time effect. I think of that one scene from the trailer, and then I immediately start overlaying it with images from Starship Troopers. Now, that's another interesting film um, that I do uh, yeah, think right? has some aspects to gaming, certainly. Uh, although, it's it's really funny just to find gaming. out. Well, you, you want to find out, and this is this is the, the most entertaining part, you want to find out how many of your friends don't realize it's a satire. 
That's a just sometimes, uh, just sometimes movies. Yeah, just bring up, just bring up the com- the, the conversation of uh, Starship Troopers and see how like many more? people, see how many people <laughs> took that completely seriously. You know what? That I see that on my Facebook all the time. People posting obvious satire, and not to get political, but like, and wouldn't you know it? The second someone says, "I don't want to get political," but things got political. Now, nothing really happened. We just told a couple of jokes and took cheap shots at the first names that popped into our heads. Nothing actually tied into anyone. We were discussing a pose law, which is the internet law that it is impossible to create a work that is so obviously over the top that it cannot be taken for a real extremist's point of view. That's what we were talking about in relation to Starship Troopers. And we went a little uh, overboard on some of the references, so I've cut this part out. Uh, at this point in time, Mac actually had to leave us to do some prior commitments, so I'm going to cut back in here with Mac telling us goodbye. Unfortunately, Mac Martin has got to leave the tavern to go take care of some uh, some business, uh, in some gaming business, which is always something we like to... Uh to promote here on the on the on the show so thank you for coming to the tavern mac we really appreciate your time it's been a real pleasure having you on oh it was a blast i hope i can do it again we'd love to have you back but first why don't you talk to our listeners a little bit about what you're involved in right now and where they can find you just so uh they know what to look for well we're on uh weird-games.net doing all the malifaux fun stuff uh Malfo Second Edition is ha- currently having a beta for all of the Wave Two stuff, which uh, is is going on, and we're trying to get all that nice and balanced. We've decided to make less money and make the game better instead. I know that sounds crazy, uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll make more money in the long term. I'll admit it. Right? Better games last longer. Of course, that's why we're all here is for better games. Right. But I have just as of today written the last bit that I needed to write for Fate Master's Almanac for Through the Breach. Through the Breach is in its last legs of testing. It's about, you know, go to the last edits and be off to print and ready for our Kickstarter backers to get it as soon as we can make that happen. And it's and as a, as a fellow developer and writer for that product, I do want to say it is an excellent thing and people should go check it out. I'm, I'm really excited to see it hit the shelves and frankly, I'm, I'm really excited to get to move on to, you know, the next books and yeah, you know, it's just it's uh, just gonna be fantastic. All right. Well, we appreciate you having you come on onto the Gamers Tavern with us, and we will catch up with you again in the future. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a shame we have to say goodbye to Mac, but I'm gonna go ahead and grab around while we get our next guest, Alan Kearney, aka Nordling from Anical News, who is technically my boss. We're gonna get him settled in at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hello gamers, I'm Daryl Mott Jr. from Anical News Tabletop and the Gamers Tavern Podcast, which you probably know because I'm betting I was just talking a second ago. I'm sure you already know about DriveThruRPG as it is the biggest repository for digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun, Battletech, World of Darkness, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. 
And sometimes there are pennies on the dollar because, face it, PDFs can sometimes be so much more convenient than print copies, but if you need print copies, they sell those too. So if you want to support the Gamers Tavern podcast, click on the affiliate links in the show notes and check out Drive Through RPG. And we're back. Thank you very much for listening to the Gamers Tavern episode 10. And I get to do the introduction day because my boss is on the podcast now. Uh, Alan Kearney from Anticle News, a.k.a. Nordling. Uh, would you like to say hi to everyone? Hi, everybody doing tonight? Hello, doing Alan. Very well. And and welcome to the show. It's uh, I'm a big fan of uh, your work on Anticle News. I read it quite a bit. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And it's appropriate we finally get him on the show on the episode we're talking about gaming and movies. And I believe Ross was just about to bring up one of my favorite action movies of all time. That's going to lead to a great segue for Alan to probably talk our ears off. Okay. But, uh, go ahead and. <laughs> yeah, what, I can talk your ear off about What you about to bring up? Well, the film I was talking about is, we, and, and we started this conversation earlier with uh, our previous guest, Mac Martin. And we were talking about how films have influenced gaming. And we had gone through a lot of different genres, but the, the genre I was just thinking about was like the action genre. And the one standout film for me that influenced me as a gamer and influenced the types of games that, um, that I've both participated in and created myself is Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, There's yeah. There's just something about Die Hard. The, the set piece, the uh, particular tone, the particular uh, you know story twists that I think is just absolutely perfect for modern games, action games of all kinds. You can even basically just take that whole concept, lift it up, and put it down in a whole new genre. You could say, we're going to do Die Hard in fantasy. We're going to do Die Hard on a spaceship. And you totally can. Well, and that just instantly from the 80s came up, which was Die Hard in a... Sure, but speed. I'm saying... Die I'm Hard saying on a bus. <laughs> with, with gaming, though, specifically, it brings up a bunch of different ways for characters to get involved. You know, they already know... They already know those those points where they can link up with the ongoing narrative. Well, Die anyway, Hard is so meticulously plotted out and so meticulously planned. I mean, from level to level and floor to floor, it would actually make a really great game, uh, a role playing game. If somebody uh, uh, wanted to design really Nakatomi of... Plaza, that would be that would be great. I mean, you could totally I've never pull really that thought off. Of Die Hard is a dungeon crawl. <laughs> pretty much, it pretty much is exactly. I mean, you go from floor to floor, it gets harder the higher you go up, and eventually you've got to fight um, Carl. <laughs> ho, 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 now I have a magic wand. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would so, be a really cool module. I would I would love to play uh, uh, basically Die Hard in a castle where, you know, terrorists come and take over the king and queen, and they've got them locked away, and well, you're without okay, any uh, weapons Ro- Ross... except for maybe a dagger, and you don't even have any shoes on. <laughs> And you've got to you go. Know, I have take... to... Okay, Ross, we're going to have to cut this bit so you and I can get started on this after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, for real, I have, a, I have a quick story I want to tell. Um, I was running, I was actually playing in a D&D game uh, that my friend Stephen Ferlani was running. And he started out by saying, okay, you're all playing characters who are members of the, the, uh, the Duchess's court. And we're like, okay. And he started us out you know, sort of dealing with some minor issues in the Duchess's lands, and we're like, okay, this is, we, we got in, we got lulled into a sense of security, that this is what the game was going to be about, you know. And then he had this, you know, this this event occur that drew us away from the home castle, and we went out and dealt with that, and on the way back, we found that, you know, one of our ancient enemies had come in, had taken over our castle, stocked it with his bad guys, and and basically we couldn't get in. 
And we were like, oh my god, okay, this is bad. This is really, really bad. We need to plan and find our way to get back inside because he's he's now taken over and he's now ruling, the, you know, the kingdom, right? That's basically what we thought. So we must have spent maybe two hours, maybe three hours planning on how we were going to get back into our own castle and kick this guy out. And <laughs> the best part, the best part was this twist because we do that. We get, we go back in the castle and, and Steve's just like, yep, there's no guards. Yep. Yeah. You, no problem. You get right in. We're like, what, what happened? Where is everybody? We get into the central core of the castle and all we find is guess what? A big empty vault. They diehearded us. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I totally lost my shit there for a while. And I told Steven how impressed I was, because I had never seen anybody pull this off in a role-playing game before, but it was it was just an amazing twist. You know, it, he played with our expectations, he played with our, uh, you know, sort of understanding of how the genre was supposed to work, because we all assumed the bad guy was taking over the Duchess's castle to try and rule her lands. He didn't want to rule her lands. He just wanted what was in her fault. And we're like, oh man, what a brilliant move. But it was all inspired by, you know, I would say, you know, copied from almost without, but that doesn't give Steven enough credit um, from Die Hard. Very cool. Well, you know, uh, I would love to see it. I mean, if you're going to play a Die Hard-esque kind of dungeon crawl, I mean, for the first, for one thing, I'd be, I would love to see somebody, you know, there's somebody's got a magical suit of armor and they're ready to put it on and it doesn't fit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, it's like totally doesn't fit. Or you know, um, they're they small. They're just the smallest guards I've ever seen in the castle. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know maybe they're all halflings or something. And uh, or uh, you know, all you have is a dagger. And, of course, they're and barely even that. Of course, they're European. Have you seen this pipe weed? <laughs> <laughs> Come out to the castle. We'll have a few laughs. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, for real. It, it's you know, Die Hard is is absolutely one of those that that I feel is a very strong influence on games. And speaking of influences, Die Hard itself had an influence that, like I said, Alan's going to be able to talk for a while about this. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of the biggest influences on Die Hard was a Japanese director. Is that correct, Alan? Uh, at least in tone and style. Nah, well, kind of. It was a little, a little about the Hong Kong cinema at the time. Um, because at the okay, bad segue. Then I was wanting to talk about Toshiro Mifune. Oh well, no, yeah, he, uh, no, no, yeah. Well, if you're thinking of Kira Kurosawa, no, I, Die Hard doesn't really. I mean, well, I take it back. Akira Kurosawa's films uh, are the action scenes that he has shot. Are very orchestrated and Die Hard is along those lines, uh, where um, uh, the director uh, McTiernan was, uh, you know, orchestrating his action sequences very much like uh, uh, Akira Kurosawa did, where he would design uh, something where you could tell exactly where everyone was at any given time and the the action geography, the spatial geography of a scene. Uh, that was very much out of Kurosawa. But um, Toshiro Mufune, uh, he's like one of the greats. Uh, I uh, I'm a huge Seven Samurai fan, and also uh, Yojimbo and Sanjiro, and uh, just just a fan of the guy. Period. And the work that he did with Kurosawa is amazing. As far as characters, uh, like for gaming, it'd be an interesting thing because uh, uh, if you well, see, if it weren't for the Kurosawa movies that came out in that time, we wouldn't probably have had as much cultural penetration in terms of the samurai archetype. And all those Edo period dramas that he did and action movies. Yeah. That really defined a lot of the 80s in terms of they had monk classes from the Wuxia. Oriental you know, Adventures. Shaw Brothers. 
And then we had Oriental Adventures, the inappropriately titled. It's inappropriately titled, but but I love that book. Legend of the Five Rings wouldn't exist probably without it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, we we have to think of our listeners, though, as well, Alan. And one thing we ask all of our guests is to tell our listeners a little bit about themselves. So, can you tell the listeners what your gaming character sheet is like in that who are you, where where do they know you from, and where can they find you on the internet? I write for Anical News uh, along with uh, uh, Daryl Abstruse. Uh, Abstruse uh, does our gaming column, and I write movie reviews and movie news uh, at Uh As far as a character sheet goes, well, uh, actually, my interesting point, my name Nordling on the site comes from my character in the 80s. Uh, I, Woohoo! <laughs> I was just I had a, talking I, about that earlier. I'd never asked you where that name came yeah, from. Yeah, it was... Well, there's a there's a street in Houston called Nordling Street, and the reason it was the character I just liked the name. I saw the name and I said that would be a great name for a D and D character. And my friend lived on the street. We used to play at his house, and so I just you know the name stuck. I I, I like the name. And I he was a ranger. Uh, he had a magical sword called Blade. Yes, it's that's entirely uh, you know original sounding. You know, it, I, mean, I should have just called him Tim or something. But it was a it was a three-bladed sword made of diamond. <laughs> just like the one from The Sword and the Sorcerer. Uh, yeah, but it couldn't shoot the blades out or anything. It was just okay. you know, really sharp and really badass. And he, he would always keep it and then lose it and keep it and lose it. It was like an artifact. And uh, I, I, we, I didn't know what I was doing back then when I was playing. He was a ranger, but he was probably not a very good one. He was more of a fighter guy anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's where my name comes from is the character that I had. And, uh, That's really cool. Yeah, and uh, you and Vin Diesel are a lot alike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, I, 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 I would love to see Vin Diesel's character sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to know if the urban legend about the tattoo is true. Uh, I don't Apparently know. He has I, his it, first D and D character's name tattooed on. Him. I've I've heard that from many sources, so I tend to believe it is true. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I've, never heard, I've never heard him admit to it. So his uh, the films that he chooses. Well, I mean, not so much the Fast and Furious movies, obviously, but uh, the Riddick. Everyone needs a paycheck. <laughs> well, hey, I love those movies. So you know, uh, but uh, the Riddick films are straight out of D and D. The yeah, he's actually the last gone one. on record as saying that those are based on him playing D and D for so many years growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. He uh, has a story of how he played D and D with Judy Dench for the second Riddick movie. Cool, <laughs> nice. I, I I can't imagine what that was like. I would Judy Dench, Oscar-winning Judy Dench, sitting down and playing Dungeons and Dragons with Vin Diesel. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. There was some kind of recording of that out there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I would have. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that. That would have been amazing. No doubt. (laughs) Well, looks like we've officially transferred over into uh, films influenced by games. Yeah, I think Uh, I think it's fair to say we should talk about that now. We should talk about films that have been clearly, you know, built on things that they have learned or or even more blatantly created right out of games. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to start with the ones that are actually official adaptations. And of course, we're going to start off with the, there are technically four Dungeons and Dragons movies, three live action and one direct to DVD animated of Dragonlance. Yeah. Now, I have not seen the third Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, I did not even know there was a third Dungeons and Dragons movie. I've only so, seen the first it's a one. Book of and it was so Darkness. bad, I could not watch anymore. <laughs> well, 
Well, I'm going to say this. I think the second on, one. Jeremy Irons owned that movie. The second he one is just having so much fun. <laughs> I got. I got to say, the second Dungeons and Dragons movie is, in my opinion, a really good film. I, I enjoyed the second one quite a bit, and it was very, in my mind, Dungeons and Dragons in terms of the experience that you get when you're watching it. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of those '80s swords and sorcery films, pretty much. They felt inspired by uh, Dungeons and Dragons and TSR because I don't think those films kind of, you know, because TSR put out the system right. They put it out in seventy nine, eighty, a little before that, before that. But I mean, seventy four, seventy four was the first. Yeah, election. but it got huge in the eighties. It got Alan's, huge in yes. like the seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, and you can sort of see it being reflected in the films of the time. You had Conan the Barbarian came out, and then everybody was ripping off Conan Crawl. the Barbarian and Crawl. Sword and Sorcerer, Beastmaster, Dragon Slayer. When Dragon Slayer is probably my favorite. Oh God, we didn't even mention. Yeah, how did we miss that one? Yeah, yeah, for real. And uh, I mean, all those films. I mean, and and, you know, it's kind of circular. Fans of the games would go and see these movies because they wanted to see basically these adventures on the big screen. And and eventually, it came to Dungeons and Dragons, the movie itself. But uh, I mean. uh, you know, and, and it's influence Dungeons and Dragons influences all through. You know, a lot of those films. It's even in movie called Heavy uh, with uh, Timothy Hutton and Tom Cruise. Taps. They talk about D and D in that movie. Wow, I haven't seen that in a really, really long. Yeah, time. Yeah, there's a scene in there where Tom Cruise, of all people, is hilarious. Is coming down the stairs and he goes, "Hey, you gonna play? We're gonna play D and D tonight." <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise playing D and D. You know, his his generation at the time, Vin Diesel, I guess. And they play D and D and E T. Uh, the beginning of E T. I mean, it's all yes. there. I mean, I think it was hugely influential for a generation of kids, a generation of geeks like us who grew up, play these games who wanted to see these things on screen. And so, you know, it it and it all comes full circle. Uh, I don't think Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings films would have been even possible had there not been a built-in audience of sword and sorcery fans and D and D players. Besides, come on, you know, you know, watching that movie, Legless was a min maxed. 4E character playing in a first edition game. Come on, that was... Lord, Lord of the Rings is absolutely... Seriously. There's a lot of things in Lord of the Rings in... in well, it, it, that's a cycle, too, because Lord of the Rings influenced D&D, which then, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they they kind of feed off each other. Yeah. You know, I remember a few years back, and y'all probably can corroborate this better than I can, but I remember reading uh, a Dragon magazine where Gary Gygax basically trashed Lord of the Rings. Uh... Y'all might be the able novels. to look this up online or something, but he was he trashed it. He said, well, it wasn't really novels. original. The stuff that we're doing with TSR is more original than Tolkien's work, and uh, the, the ring is just a magical ring with a really bad curse on it, invisibility ring, and he kind of kind of broke down the, the, the series. And I really got – that was one of my things that really irritated me, uh, you know, because, yeah, I mean, you could, it all comes back to Tolkien, really. Uh but to he, he was the archetype. He was yeah. the genre starter for what we traditionally consider fantasy now. Yeah, I mean it wasn't. I mean it all goes. I mean there's before Tolkien, you had Robert E. Howard, you had Lord Dunsany, you've had Lovecraft, you had a lot of different uh, authors. You know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, Michael Moorcock. They were all well. Michael Moorcock is after Tolkien, but um, they're all influenced, and they were you know they created their worlds together. That and D and D really wasn't even a part of their you know it wasn't even on their landscape. So I mean, it all comes around, you know. It's it's just fascinating to me. Uh, it it all comes around. All right. So when we're talking about you know games that have become movies, uh, there's this is also true not just for Dungeons and Dragons, but um, Clue. Yeah. Clue is a great and, movie. 
we'll, we we all agree on that. I think all the performances in Clue were fantastic. Uh, Martin Mull probably I turned in his best ever. So and much. What? <laughs> it is so awesome. I, I love that movie so oh, much. Oh, Clue, Clue is, is just great. I'm There's nobody here. Nobody. No, nobody here. Nobody. Nobody <laughs> here. It's just, the dialogue is just snap, snap, yeah, snap. It is great. Oh, it is just brilliantly written, brilliantly performed. The style is gorgeous. The way it's shot is perfect. Yeah, and yeah, and it brings everyone... so, and it brings you to mind of the game. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they were just making a movie and slapping a title on it. It is the game. Speaking of Clue, you know, I was in the store yesterday, uh, and I saw, you know, they have all these different editions of these games now. Like, Monopoly has, like, uh, you know, Nintendo editions or, you know, uh, you know, Adventure Time editions. Well, I saw a Clue edition of Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't know that was out. Yep. Huh. That, yeah, they that came out, I think, last year, maybe the year before. I'd be real curious to play that. That'd be a lot of fun. Well, well, I there's killed. also the one I'm wanting to play. The one I'm wanting to play is the Sherlock themed one, but apparently it's only available in England. Uh, so we've talked about we've talked about a movie that was a big success that really worked really well. Everything was was great. I think we all agree. Well, actually, Clue it, Clue was a major accomplishment in terms of film. Uh huh. But it was based on a game. Well, there's another film more recent that was very similarly based on a game, a popular game, uh, Battleship. And that's an awful movie. <laughs> well, you know why yeah, it's may- so maybe awful? Maybe not so much a success. Uh, well, you know why it's so uh, awful? I'll tell you exactly why it's so awful. Because it they, doesn't bring you the game? They veered away from what the game is about. The, the, yeah. the game is basically, uh, you know, there's an episode of um, Star Trek. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's called Something of Terror, Balance of Terror. I can't remember what. Basically, it's a hide-and-seek kind of game with the Enterprise and, and a Romulan ship. And they're, you know, basically trying to, uh, maybe it's balance of power. I can't, rem- I'm going to get trashed for this for not knowing the but title. But it was like a, it was like a World <laughs> War II submarine battle. Exactly. And they could have totally that made. That was uh, Khan too. Yeah, Rathacon. exactly. Rathacon has that. They could have totally made a battleship game that was, uh, you know, re- realistic in, in the terms of, uh, of a building tension and not, they didn't need all the stuff that they had. I mean, and how can you have a movie called Battleship with Liam Neeson in it, where Liam Neeson never once says, "You sank, you sank my battleship." My battleship. That's yeah, the, I was that's waiting a crime for against cinema. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about maybe one that did work a little bit better, and in my mind was actually a really big surprise in how well it worked. Um, Real Steel. Real Steel is that based on a game? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's very obviously oh, yeah, based Rock'em on Sock'em Robots. Yeah, Rock'em Sock'em Robot. Yeah. Yeah, I would, that's in a, my that's a in my mind, it's it's obvious. I'm sorry, I apologize for you know maybe I, maybe it isn't to, to most people, but to me, I was just like, oh, that's clearly wrong. Well, it's actually based on a short story by Richard Matheson, uh, right? But oh, that now now actually, I haven't actually seen it, and I actually had it in the notes as that Hugh Jackman robot movie. Yeah, and I had to Google the name because I couldn't remember it. Now that I know Richard Matheson wrote it, I got to see this movie now. Oh, it's really good, and but you know what? They should have. I don't know why they didn't get the marketing team and just call it Rock'em Sock'em Robots. A, I think it would have made more money in the theater. And B, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> even if, even, oh, let's put it this way, even if it isn't the official Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie, it, in my mind, it, it, it succeeded at everything that you would want that movie to succeed at anyway. <laughs> exactly. And actually, the thing about it, I went to Real Steel thinking, kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, this is going to be like Battleship. It's going to be a real big disappointment. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't. I didn't have high expectations. Right. But I, I watched it and I was like, wow, this, you know, to me, this feels like someone 
who has played and enjoyed that game took everything that they you know imagined in their head was happening and turned that into a really great story with some great acting and some good you know twists yeah I and it was, it's, I it was it's really quite fun. a good movie it's surprisingly good considering i don't really care for that director's work normally uh but uh real steel's a lot of fun uh and it's it's got really good characters and it's got really great emotional high points in it it's it's really good yeah so let me ask well sorry well, i had one official adaptation that i wanted to ask you two about because you two are closer in generation than i am you're a little bit older than i am i was really young when the show was on but I'm when you guys were talking about the 80s and Dungeons and Dragons, first thing that always pops into my mind is the cartoon. Oh yeah, the the Saturday yep. morning cartoon. With Look, it's Dungeon a Dungeons Master and Dragons and... ride. I I love that cartoon. <laughs> it, it, looking back Me on too. it now, it's pretty bad. But at the time, well, I really yeah. dug it. Uh, well, there's I agree that most of it's bad, but there's like one or two episodes that still are really really good. Remember the episode where they all decide to kill Venger? Yeah. That's a that still holds up today. That's like a solid like emotional like wow these these are kids talking about straight up murdering a dude. Well, and I they got, go through I got the a, whole thing. I got a little irritated with the show when they would have these great D and D characters like Lolth and uh, they had Tiamat and they were just Tiamat, monsters. Yeah. And yeah. In, the, in the game, they're not. Yeah. You know, they're they're actual you know characters. Tiamat's a very intelligent. They're the puppet masters that are scheming and plotting everything. Yeah, in yeah. The world. God level, but 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 it did have it did have Venger. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, and Uni. Well, Uni's not so much awesome. One but of Venger the... <laughs> is, is a serious bad guy. I mean, I was always like, yeah, dude, you do not want to mess with that. One of the things uh, I remember from the TV show because uh, or the cartoon where they were having the characters like Cavalier, Barbarian, and Acrobat, acrobat and magician, I'm going, thief. hey, those characters haven't. And I think like Unearthed Arcana like came out like a year yeah. before. <laughs> it was the newest thing right then. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's like. This is a really uh, clever kind of marketing here, because <laughs> you know, I mean, and I mean, it's. I don't remember the acrobat. I'm gonna have to buy that book. Yeah, now. exactly. And the thing about the thing about see, and it's still prevalent in, in gaming today because there's so many books for so many things because they just want you to keep buying books and books and books. But uh, uh, I just remember that the time when they were pu- putting all this stuff in the cartoon, it's like, well, they're probably gonna have a book for that, you know. <laughs> No, but the cartoon was. We never did get a cartoon campaign book. I'm surprised, considering all the campaign settings that were coming out around that it, time. Yeah, you know, I'm licensing is a funny, funny world, especially back in the '80s. I imagine they. Yeah. You know, who knows? It, it it should have had a book, certainly. But on the same token, um, there's a, a cartoon we talked about earlier in the show, the BattleTech cartoon, which did have a, an official source book for BattleTech. Cool. Uh, one of my favorite games. Uh. I think now the games, the gaming that I'm kind of orientating myself towards is kind of superhero role-playing gaming because I, I just love the stories that come out of them. My friend Jeremy, who runs 8th Dimension Comics and Games here in town, uh, he he was a big fan of Champions. Uh, yes! and uh, You just mentioned one of my favorite games of Ross, all time. Yeah, and uh, The only thing you could have made Ross happier is if you had mentioned Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Champions is still the definitive superhero uh, role-playing game system, I think. It, it wasn't too complicated, but it grew uh, with the rules, and they, basically they had a power for everything. You know, you can come up with everything. And the stories my friend Jeremy was telling of the game they had, okay, let me let me kind of clue you in on one of the characters they had. One of the characters that they created was, by day, he's the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> but by night, by night, wow. the Lincoln Memorial puts a mask on 
and he's called Democrabot. <laughs> wow. And it's okay, like, I want to be wow. in this campaign right That's now. That's brilliant. Right now. And the stories that he was telling, uh, uh, one of the characters Skype? had a wife who didn't know about a secret identity, but then one time, one night they got mugged, and he fought them off. And so his wife tells him, you should be a superhero. So his wife makes him another superhero outfit. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's two superheroes. Wow. And one of them his wife doesn't know about. And wow. the story was, this the stories that you could create are just so wonderful. And one of the things that I've always loved about role-playing games, and, and I'm getting kind of getting away from the topic a little bit, but it's coming back to it, is that you could... I mean, and Jim Butcher does it, a lot of authors do it, where they basically write books and movies based on the gaming that they play, you know. And I guess it's coming back to what we were talking about with Vin Diesel. Um, well, that's where... And by the way, that uh, superhero game he's talking about, uh, that's 8th Dimension Comics in Houston, Texas. <laughs> Houston is a, a hotbed of good Champions games. My friends Justin Dunnick and Theron Bretz both live there and are excellent uh, Champions gamers. I, I wonder if you know them, Alan. I probably okay don't. don't. I haven't played Champions in a really long time. Uh, I don't even have the book anymore, but I I uh, I, I don't know what happened to it. I, I'm, I'd love to be able to pick it up again. It's it's a know, matter of time more than anything. I don't get to play as nearly as much as I'd like. So you were just saying, you know, people who take their games and turn them into the film that they make. Sure. Um, I, but, I don't... but that's not... It, and that's not just true with, with like, films either. Like... Uh, Game of Thrones is a really, I mean, uh, George R. R. Martin is a, is a gamer. Yeah, and, and you could Wild tell there's actually a theory going around. Wild Cards came right out of uh, their super world. Yeah, and you could tell the stories that he's telling. A... I mean, you, you, it's funny because, you know, you get all these people who are upset, you know, these different plot twists and turns and characters dying in Game of Thrones. And at the same time, people who play games look at it and go, well, yeah, but that happens all the time in games. I mean, it's almost like... Uh, there's there's a theory going around that George R. R. Martin played in the first edition ga- campaign with a killer DM, <laughs> and he went and said to the DM, "I'm going to show you. I'm going to write an epic fantasy series when I grow up, and you're going to regret. I'm going to make you love these characters. I'm going to kill them all off." <laughs> well, to get to get back to film though, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, I think probably one of the first ones we should probably talk about uh, is actually in the realm of anime. Uh huh. Um, the record of Lotus War um, is very obviously some guy's DVD. Yeah, it's been. A f- I haven't seen yeah. uh, it in a long time, and I and I don't don't remember yeah, finishing the, the show. But I I love that mid-90s, show. Nineties, I think. Me too. It's it's just adorable. Record of Lotus War is just adorable. Every little piece of it, and one of the best parts is it, it showcases a character who's the best example I've ever seen of a true neutral alignment who strives to maintain balance above all. You know. Um, to the point where she's the main bad guy, actually, for <laughs> uh, for the game, uh, for the for the not for the game for the uh, for the, the the series, and you can just kind of pick out like, okay, that guy, that guy's a fighter, that guy's a fighter thief, that guy's a you know, mage. You can easily just pick out who's and the, the tactics that they use and the spells. Uh, you know, it's it's just like it's it's just like a treasure trove if you're a gamer to watch Record of Lotus War, right? And uh, pick out all the little pieces that are are, are part of that. Yeah, and if you're a longtime gamer, there's a series that I loved. It was one. Of, it was the series that got me into anime. Whenever I went through that phase, I'm not saying I don't. I dislike anime now. It's now just become another medium for me. It's some of it's good, some of it's bad. I'll watch it or not. But the one that got me into it was called Slayers, which was an anime series that was 
in, it wasn't based on, but it was inspired by the creators playing in games where the joke isn't nearly as, and this is something I didn't even realize until probably a few years ago, and I watched this when I was a teenager, but a few years ago I realized that there's a meta joke throughout the entire first season of Slayers where if you watch the characters and how they act, it's not a parody of characters in fantasy. It's a parody of gamers playing characters. <laughs> Lena Inverse, Lena Inverse is the complete and utter munchkin. She cheats at everything she does and does everything <laughs> she can to get all the treasure. Right. Gory is completely min-maxed to the point where his intelligence is so bad that he's compared to a mushroom multiple times. True. Uh, uh, Zelgadis. His character is the emo guy who writes a 15-page backstory for his character that's completely tragic and emo and dog. To be fair, he does have a really cool backstory. And it's really good writing, too. That's why it took me so long to even realize this meta joke was existing. Yeah. And all the main characters on the show have that same sort of, when you watch the, sh you watch the show and it's really, really cool. And then you watch again and you watch for that, you can start seeing... Okay, that's that guy. That's that guy playing that character. That's that guy playing that character. And you can see the the behind the scenes meta thing going on. It's really really cool. Well, we've got we've got Nordling on the show, and it's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for showing hey, up. No problem. And being on Gamers Tavern, we've got you on the show. It would be a shame not to ask you like directly, like, what is the first film that comes to your mind when we say pick out a film that is obviously based on gaming or someone's campaign? Gee, that, you know, Krull, uh feels like it's very much based on somebody's role playing. Um and uh <laughs> we talked about that in the first half. That was the very first movie I brought up as being like this is what I think D&D should be like. Well, you know, the interesting kid. story, Crawl was originally going to be the Dungeons and Dragons movie, but they couldn't they oh, couldn't well, square the go. rights away. Oh yeah, I forgot about they, that. They couldn't square the rights away, and so they basically created this whole new world and new uh these new creatures and everything. But it was supposed to be the first D and D game, and it never, or first D and D movie, and just didn't pan out. I don't know how much uh, of Kroll was, you know, played as as opposed to being just written. I mean, because I mean, it's it's the same kind of, you know, um, Joseph Campbell archetypes, you know, the hero with a thousand faces sort of thing, kind of movie anyway. A very Star Warsy in that way, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kroll feels like something uh, that you know could have been played out. Dragon Slayer feels like one of those two, and that's still the best dragon on film. Period. I don't know how Smaug is going to be in in Desolation Smaug, but uh, uh, if it can be anything coming close to Vermithrax's pejorative in in, in uh, Dragon Slayer, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Vermithrax is, I would say, the standard. Sure. Yeah, that just the, yeah, not just the standard, just the 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 the, the pinnacle really, because that's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, created creature. Yeah, uh, and I mean the way, even the way it's designed, uh, like when uh, she's walking on her wings, and I remember the first time I saw it, I thought that they would like strapped wings on a lizard because it looks surreal to me. <laughs> but it, actually, that was all stop animation. It was just a new new way of doing stop animation that looked extremely realistic. The thing that struck me about Vermithrax that was so impressive to me was how invulnerable the creature was. Faith did nothing to stop the creature. Blades and swords and, and arrows, none of that worked. And even when they went out of their way to forge like the ultimate, you know, dragon slaying weapon, you know, that spear that could cut right through an anvil, even that couldn't kill it. It required <laughs> destroying all the magic in the world. Basically, a suicide to kill bomber. Vermithrax. Basically, yeah, he was a suicide and I was like, bomber. He was whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me that that was like there is no way better way to communicate to my mind at that age. 
just the sheer power and majesty of a dragon by saying, the, by showing the great lengths you have to go to to defeat. Yeah, them. you know, you start taking dragons kind of for granted the more you play D and D because you, and then they end up showing in every showing up in everything, and then you take it for granted. They're supposed to be these very rare, powerful creatures that you you know, if you'll be lucky if you live a lifetime, no matter what kind of character you are, and see one, much less fight one. You know, and that's always how I'd like to treat them in my. Uh, in my campaigns, is like, you know, if they're in the title, and you, sh- you should, you know, respect is due. They can't, they're just not a routine monster, you know. Well, let's um, let's shift gears a little bit well, because well, there's one thing I oh, wanted go to go back to. Uh, Alan was talking about the stop motion animation. There's something that is horribly wrong that we didn't bring up in the first part of it when we're talking about films that influenced gaming. And when you mentioned Influencing gaming and stop motion. There's one name that comes to your mind. Clash of the Titans. Ray, Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, absolutely. You got it. Clash of the Titans. The uh, original Sinbad. Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love Ray Harryhausen. I think um, Clash of the Titans is probably the one I can probably. I don't want to call it my favorite, but it's definitely the one that kind of really exposed me to him because I was only 11 at the time when it came out. But like uh, the Sinbad movies are amazing. The monsters are just beautiful mm-hmm. uh, and so well done. I could totally see how his films would influence gaming because yeah. every creature that's in a Ray Harryhausen movie is probably in a monster manual somewhere. <laughs> well, let's yes, let's shift gears for a minute because I think you know we talked an awful lot about fantasy and fantasy films and, and so forth. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit because in the nineties, you know, the big gaming uh, revolution was the White Wolf games. It was vampire, werewolf, yeah. you know, those kind of things, yeah. and I would say there's a film that came out uh, not so long ago. I, I won't say recently, but not so long ago that was definitely that kind of on film for me, uh, which was Underworld. Yeah. That's 2000, 2001, I think. So 12 years ago. It was just after Matrix. Yeah, and uh, those are... Um, the World of Darkness games kind of influenced a lot. Uh, I, I would say Jim Butcher's uh, universe that he created is a little influenced from that. Oh God, yes. Those games, I, you know, I I was never the big fan of them, and I'll tell you why. Uh, they, I I have no problem with role playing in your games, but I'm not a big LARP fan, and those kind of <laughs> steered toward LARPing, and uh, I they did. It's I'd true. rather sit and play, and you know, play with the dice and and have the characters do things, but because uh, that's that's definitely a game that's more more geared toward the role playing aspects than like combat or anything like that, you know. It's it's a shame that Mac left because he has some awesome LARP stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I've already told I've already told my one yeah, good true. one. So, but the thing about but, Underworld uh, that I wanted to bring up is actually it was a film that was sued for copyright infringement. White uh, Wolf and Nancy Collins, right? Both sued so so collectively. It, so it's fair to say this movie was so similar that it was actually you know brought up in, in litigation. And to be to be fair, I mean I'm not going to say who's right or wrong, but I could definitely see in my head I, I would be like oh yeah i can i can understand why someone would think that they needed to sue over that film. yeah well i mean i could go into detail on that but it's a that would require a primer on copyright law so that whole world of darkness thing is kind of a victim of its own success because it, if you want to draw a straight line it's not far very far from world of darkness to twilight i mean and and then the kind of Ooh. No, it's true. It's you true. Just, it's true. Send your emails to Nordling at <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, I'm serious. It's true because uh, <laughs> you know, 
Uh, it's just the the stories that they were telling. Don't uh, blame White Wolf for Twilight. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it's the stories that they were telling. Uh, uh, changed people's perceptions of what these characters are like. You know, um, vampires. You know, back in the day of uh, Murnau's film Nosferatu, they were monsters, and then the romance was brought into it. Uh, with uh, you know Bella Lugosi, well that actually, and then you know it all comes full circle. It ended up ended up getting adapted with Anne Rice, and then uh, the film that I was talking about earlier is The Hunger. Yeah, that's a good that's a good vampire of, movie. Really too. romanticizing the vampire. No, the Hunger is amazing movie. Um, Tony Scott. And if you want to go with and if you want to go with werewolves, American Werewolf in London. Yeah, American Werewolf in London the is Howling. good. There's a new horror film coming out next year called Afflicted, uh, which is. Um, which is basically vampires, but it's done in such a great, great original new way. It reminded me of Let the Right One In, uh, where it it it, uh, it really kind of turns the whole vampire myth around. And it's it's a found footage movie, but it's 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 really really well done. And uh, you know the va- the vampire is one of those archetype characters that could be ba- basically made to fit anything. Every culture has something that's vampire related. Every single culture on this planet has some form of vampire. In China, they hop. Yeah, they can't yeah. walk. They only and hop sticky everywhere. rice scares them away, and yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I tend to not like vampire films anymore. Uh, they have to really bring something different to the whole deal because so many people have been the, the tragic love vampire thing. I'm, I'm just kind of done with that. Well, you know, there's a vampire film that I would like to talk about that when I was playing the White Wolf games back in the day. This is one of my favorites to show people. Uh, it was Near Dark. Near Dark. Which stars Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah. Stars Near, uh, Bill Paxton and uh, Lance Henderson. And I thought it was a pretty interesting look at vampires. Uh, one of my favorite lines, uh, I can actually, it, a sign of it being a good movie is I can remember actual dialogue. And there's a scene where they ask Lance Henderson's character, they say, well, just how old are you? And he says, well, let me put it this way. I fought for the South. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's a great line. Yeah. You know, it, and Lance Henriksen delivers it. You know, he makes you believe it. The cool thing about those vampires is that he wasn't even the oldest one. The kid was the oldest one. Yeah. He was the one who brought them in. Speaking of lines, there's one line I remember from a, a vampire movie that was better than it should have been considering the production problems it had. And that was uh, John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That movie is really good, but the book is The book is, is fun. The book is if, a lot of fun. This, if, the studio, if the studio hadn't hamstrung carpenter at the last minute with the budget that movie would have been amazing but there was one line in the book that's always stuck with me uh they were just trying to fight a master vampire at dark was the new vampire hunters and one of the more experienced one grabs another shows what were you thinking do you have any idea how fast a a master vampire can move at dark and he goes no of course no one does there's too many fucking oceans in the way (laughs) wow there's one from uh from 1992 called Innocent Blood. That's a great movie. Stars, John Landis that made that. Robert Loggia mm-hmm. is in it. Uh, and it, it's for me that's that one in Near Dark were like if I had to go tell people like this is what, you know, vampire gaming would be like. Uh, I would show you those. Two. Well, uh my my personal com- favorite vampire the vampire character in that is completely ro- My sorry, personal favorite ahead. vampire movie is Let the Right One In, which is amazing. Uh it, it it's a yeah. great vampire movie, but I meant in terms of like the game vampire. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Kind of, yeah, the experience of that, but yeah, Relent the Right One in is a brilliant vampire movie. I do. Uh, well, when you see Afflicted next year, you'll probably dig that because it's it's a okay. uh, it's it basically puts you in the in 
behind the, the eyes of a vampire, really. And it's uh, really, really well done. It's really cool. I think a lot of people are going to dig it, especially fans of World of Darkness. Well, I think we've talked about a bunch of different types of genres. Um, what what if we talk about this? Alan, can you think of a movie you've seen? And, and there's been several, so I'm hoping you've seen at least one. A movie actually about games. Yeah, there's Zero Charisma. Why don't you talk Zero about Zero Charisma is amazing. Uh, Zero Charisma is an Austin-shot film. Uh, he played at South by Southwest this year. And it's basically about the most unlikable dungeon master ever. <laughs> that's that's a bold claim. <laughs> no, he's he's, <laughs> he's an asshole, and um, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. Trust well, me. he he has he Comparatively, has comparatively speaking, he has his own problems. Uh, but uh, uh, Zero Charisma is about this guy who um, he lives for the game. Okay, he he's created his own gaming system. Uh, he has friends over, and then one day, one of the people in his game. He, he's, he's having problems with his marriage, so he has to leave. So they're looking for a new gamer. And basically, uh, they find this guy named Miles, who's basically a hipster. He's he's a casual geek. You know, for Scott, the main character played by Sam Eatson, this is his life. And, you know, we all know people like him, okay, who, um, who probably cannot. Uh... There, there might be people like him on this podcast <laughs> right now. Uh, so, so sorry, I had something <laughs> Well, I mean... No, I've never, I've never had the problem of having a hipster in my game and having to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, not. So, so sorry, go ahead. It's Alan. not just that. It's uh he's um, he doesn't have very good social skills. He can't interact with people very well, and so he lives in the game because that's really his only outlet. And then this guy comes in and kind of ruins everything in in a way, and uh, he doesn't know how to react. He doesn't doesn't have the social skills to be able to adjust, and so he he basically rages. It's a comedy, but it's really, I mean, any geek who sees the movie is going to recognize somebody or themselves in the movie. There's just no way getting around it. Uh, and It is an amazing, amazing, amazing film, but if you are part of the gaming culture, a lot of the scenes are going to be kind of uncomfortable because they're going to hit really close to home, either for someone, either for yourself or for someone you may know yeah. that you, that's a friend of yours that acted this way, that's close to you. It is, it is a film that I recommend everyone watch. I am not sure if I'm going to, as much as I want to. I don't know if I'll be able to watch it again because it, 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 it captures gaming so well that a lot of it hits way too close yeah. to home, and it kind yeah. of makes me. It, it doesn't sound to me like it's a love letter to gaming, which unfortunately, like that's the kind of film I tend to prefer when it's about gaming. Is the ones that are. It actually. It's not. The, it's you know, not the things that are good about it. It's but. okay. I wouldn't call it a love letter, but it doesn't make fun of gamers. Okay, it doesn't make. It's not at their expense. Okay, I think that RPGs, role playing, gaming, and people who are fans. I mean, look. Let's let's all be honest. We're all introverts. Okay, it's that's that's it's geared to. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. You're right. You're We're right. all Go introverts. Uh, you know. This is our, our way of escape. Uh, this is our way. I mean, it's. I mean, I'll, I always used to call uh, RPG nerd poker, you know, because it's what it is. You know, <laughs> we all get together, play games, and which is actually the name of Brian Pasane's podcast, where he does live play D and D. Oh, it, he calls it that. Okay, I didn't know that. But uh, you know, we're all introverts. We all have. Uh, it, we all have. You know, I kind of grew out of it because I, I think I'm more sociable now. But back in the day, I wasn't, and it was a way for me to socially interact with my friends and have fun. And I don't and I, think the movie makes fun of that. I think that 
movie and the filmmakers realize that this is something that some people need and they and they and this is their their life and it doesn't judge them uh now the main character scott he has issues he has problems uh as as does everybody uh and i think in that we recognize scott we recognize the things in scott and us because we all have problems too people who are tending to be attracted to, to games and like in to the degree that scott is uh, it's because that they have problems that they're trying to get away from. That's not to say that games are, gaming is bad. Gaming uh, is something that uh, is a distraction from the issues that they need to address. But it's 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 it is true that when we want to play, it's because it is for an escape. We are trying to you know get away from the drudgery of, of regular life and enjoy ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would say it kind of is a love letter to gaming in a way. Uh, if you ignore the main character and look at everyone else that's playing in the game, they're doing it for exactly the reasons they're all really cool people, and these are the sort of people I would love to have at my table, okay. because they all seem like really well... And so there is no hate toward gaming. It's the character and how he reacts to challenges that yeah. come up in front Scott's of him. Pretty, that okay. is where the uncomfortable comes Scott's from. pretty stunted as a person, but all his other friends around him have... have they love gaming... And they use it because, like, there's two other characters who play in this game who who uh, make videos, uh, short videos, and and post them online of little, uh, uh, you know, short films that they make, you know, action, excuse me, action movies. Uh, there's another one who's married. The, the The main character or the the character of Miles, who's the hipster kind of guy, he's actually he he he's not that bad a guy. Uh, it's just that. Well, you know, Scott and him just are, get along, don't get along at all. Yeah. But he has other social outlets, and he uses his geekery, I guess, in in different ways. It's, it's just that Scott has invested everything in the game. Uh, it sounds really cool, and I'd want to see it. And I think probably the larger issue for me that, that I'm excited about is I'm excited about seeing more movies that are based on games. That gaming is coming out of just being like a little cameo appearance, like we talked about in ET yeah. and and taps you know there's actually now whole movies being made specifically that's the the backdrop is the game you know is is gaming in general it's funny i mean i'm when i i, I don't really write uh like fiction or stuff i do sometimes i still have some stuff but one of the ideas i was shooting around before zero charisma is about these uh uh five group of friends who uh played games and then one of them gets married and and one of the things i was going to talk about is that there was going to be a scene in the in the in the film where they're all all their characters are you know, like basically talking at, around a campfire, except that they're talking in modern vernacular, and uh, <laughs> but this, they're still yeah. kind of in character. And one of them is about to get married, and, and they're worried about it's how it's going to screw the game up. And uh, but you know, Zero Charisma covered that ground a lot better than I did. <laughs> ah. oh, well, I will definitely put that on my list of things to watch. And. Uh, just to you know, recap a little bit for the listeners, we, in the first section we did talk about some other movies that are about gaming. Uh, we talked about the Gamers Trilogy. We talked a little bit about the Dungeon Masters documentary, uh, Thaco. We talked a little bit about... Um, did y'all talk about Darkon? One other... Darkon, yeah. Talk about Darkon. Darkon's really good. Um, I agree. Uh, I'm not, uh, again, I'm not a LARPer, but uh, Darkon's a lot of fun. Um it's a good documentary about yeah. It, it made me kind of you want to talk about a love, you want to talk about a love letter. Darkon was a love letter to LARPing, in my opinion, yeah. because it just I aside from my one after my one bad experience that I've talked about previously on the podcast, I have never had any desire to LARP until I watched Darkon. I'm like, 
Okay, I want to be part of that. Yeah, fun. that's that was me too. That was my reaction. It was like, dude, I, you know, if I had been with those guys in my circle of friends, I would probably have been in that because it looked really cool. Well, you know, there's a if you did y'all see uh, there's a comedy out there in 2008 called Role Models with Paul Rudd. I saw and that Sean one. William yeah, Scott, yeah. where and the, uh, Christopher Mintz plays uh, McLovin from Superbad. He's a LARPer, and they and they talk about. They they end up joining him in his in his game, and uh, that's a lot of fun. I think that's actually a positive look on gaming. Oh, I agree. Yeah, role models is is actually yeah one that looks at LARPing and says you know this is actually kind of cool. Check and if out. we can ever get the rights squared away, and if Joe Lynch is ever able to get his final cut back, um, is this the the one with uh, Knights of Bad Astums, uh, which is about yes, I want to see that so. Uh, I, w- I saw the trailer. It looks yeah, cool. and uh, hopefully that that'll all get sorted out, and we'll all get to see uh, Joe Lynch's edit because uh, it got bought. And it's, it's all convoluted, but uh, I don't know if we'll ever actually get to see his his cut of the film. But I mean, the, the idea behind it is that these larpers who um, <laughs> end up summoning an actual demon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the, and it looks like it's a lot of fun. It looks uh, hopefully again we'll see Joe Lynch's original cut, uh, but. Uh, we may see more of these kind of films coming down. Um, I, I just, I just want them to treat this stuff with respect. Uh, you know, it's Agreed. like, it's like a baseball movie or a football movie. They treat football and baseball with respect. Just treat gamers and gaming with respect. That's all I ask. And don't, I mean, the whole thing is kind of absurd on the surface it, it, because it's, it's a different kind of world that people are used to. But I, I think that it's just as rich and rewarding for these people as, you know, somebody who's a football fanatic and paints their face every Sunday, you know. That's an excellent point, Alan. If you break down gaming, this that's, if you tell, try to tell people about gaming and they look at you like, well, you ain't do that. If you break down any sport, it gets the same way. Okay, this guy throws a ball at me and then I try to hit it with a stick and then I run around in a circle. And the more circles I can run, the more points I get. And wait, wait, no, it's actually kind of cool. Come on, come back. <laughs> Yeah, the game where you run around in circles isn't that where you do touchdowns. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's um, got their everybody's you know, if like fantasy football or fantasy baseball. I mean, that's basically that's role playing. I mean, you're basically inventing yeah, well, a team. Have you played blood? Have you played the, blood ball? What's because, the old meme, dude? Totally. What's the old meme on that one? Uh, fantasy football is for is role playing for people who used to beat up role playing games. <laughs> I guess in high school. <laughs> well, we uh we're actually coming to the end of our our time here in the tavern, so. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on gaming and films? Um, you know, I think we'll, you'll see artists and writers who are brought up through the gaming community. Uh, I mean, it's already very influential in, in novels, and uh, it's coming through to television and film. Obviously, Game of Thrones is hugely influential. I mean, it has to be from games, you know. Um, and, you know, movies like Zero Charisma or Knights of Bad Astem or... Um, you know, just general fantasy films that are coming down or definitely came from those role-playing sessions of old, I'm sure. You know, it's 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 all a part of it. You know, storytelling is storytelling. What about you, Daryl? If you look up on Wikipedia, I believe, and I'm going to have to put a link in the show notes to this, there is a list of uh, celebrity gamers, celebrity role-playing gamers. And if you look at that list, it is nothing but a list of some of the top talents in terms of writing, acting, and directing in the industry right now. Stephen Colbert, Matt Groening, Vin Diesel, and that's just off the top of my head. There is a giant list you don't, of all these people who have played games. You don't want to know how much I would pay to play in a game with Stephen Colbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he actually went to the Hobbit set. He was he said he had to be in the Hobbit in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, yeah. Uh, 
Well, he got a, he got a walk on. Yeah, I think so. I think I think he is a, a one of the people in Lake Town. He was a, a one of the voice actors for season one of Venture Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, if you want to talk about someone who doesn't look it, but he can school you in token trivia. He, oh he, yeah, he, he, he sat there and debated can. everyone who came on his show from that movie and won every time. He, he yeah, there's a great YouTube of him blowing away James Franco. <laughs> But yeah, for real, uh, I would I would love to play a game with Stephen Colbert uh, and just to see you know that guy you know doing gamery things. I think it would be great. I would love to play a game with Patton Oswalt. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That would be amazing too. Agreed. So um, we're actually the the tavern's about to close. Last call is being uh, rang out in the gamers' tavern. Uh, Alan, why don't you tell our listeners one more time uh, just where they can find you on the interwebs and what your latest thing is they should be looking for. Uh, well, um, I write for AinItCool.com, and uh, uh, what's my latest thing I wrote? Well, I wrote a, an editorial today about how they should uh, put uh, Burt Reynolds as the bandit in the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Hell yes, they should. <laughs> and Jerry Reed. Uh, or, or he's, he's dead, though, isn't he? Who? Is Jerry Reed alive? I'm sorry? He was no he Jerry Reed's Jerry Reed's gone. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, if he was still around, I would say you need to bring him in too. Yeah. But yeah, I, the, that's awesome. I was gonna say I would I would I would watch the next Fast and Furious movies of Hal Needham directed. Yeah, he's gone now too, unfortunately. But um, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, I mean those are directly from him. So I I mean I I if uh, Smokey and the Bandit is basically the grandfather of the Fast and Furious movies. So I think it would be a nice way to show respect by putting Burt Reynolds in one of those movies. Well, isn't isn't there a Granddaddy, Fast and Furious. That was actually called. Fast yeah, it was and a Furious. Roger Corman film, but it really doesn't. Okay. Re- it's no, nothing similar in plot at all, really. All right. Well, in terms, of, in terms of tone and style, yeah, Smoking the Bandit and is the prototype for it. We want to say thank you very much, Daryl and I are both very grateful for having you come on the show and talk to us about films. You being such a you know film guy, and uh, we we want to say thank you for coming on the Gamers Tavern, and we'd love to have you back. Sometime. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And that almost wraps us up for this week's Gamers Tavern. I'd like to once again thank our guests, Mac Martin and Alan Kearney, for their time and being on the podcast. Before we close up shop here, I know the Queen's Guard's kind of banging at the door right now, but I really want to go through some comments real quick. We've gotten through the website and on Facebook. I'm going to start off with one that we got on the website. It's GamersTavern.org. It's from Stephen T. Russell. Stephen says, Thank you for mentioning Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. Steve Russell, write publishing. Well, for those who don't know, uh, Steve is kind of the guy behind Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, and I really thank him for his comment. Every time I think of Amber Diceless at this point in time, I think of Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, so it got brought up in our podcast back on episode 6, Technology and Gaming, and of course, I had to say something about it. So, thank you for listening, Steve. I hope you stick around. Uh, We've also got another comment back on episode 7, which was our Shadow Run episode. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't come up with a clever subtitle for that one, but Oh, God, I love Shadowrun so much. But we got a comment from James Myers, who said, War Games West! And, James, I completely have to agree with you on that one. War Games West! Because a lot of my youth was spent thumbing through those catalog pages, and as much as I love the convenience of ordering online and going through all these game stores and through Amazon and all these other places, it just doesn't have the same appeal as looking at those 
pages and thumbing through the catalog while I've got Green Day blaring through my ears. And yeah, yeah, I was in that generation. Anyway, I love War Games West. I really lament that it's gone now. What are you going to do? Uh, you got to deal with what we got now. And we have some great options now for buying games. If you may find some of you, check out our sponsors on GamersTavern.org. But um, I'm going to go ahead and go on to Bill Sorensen, who asks, Any chance of getting author Richard Lee Byers on the podcast? He's going to be writing a novella set in the Accursed Universe. Uh, I can't comment on that at this point in time uh we've already recorded the next couple of episodes from the one i'm I'm recording this for to release right now but uh i wish ross were here right now he'd be able to give you a better answer it really depends on a lot of factors when we can get guests because honestly scheduling guests for this podcast is a lot like herding cats it's Freelancers are very, very busy. We're actually going to talk about exactly how busy they can get on a future podcast when we talk about uh, gaming and how to get into the industry. But considering that pretty much every single other person who's worked on the Cursed has been on the podcast at this point in time, or will be by the time you hear this, yeah. Uh, Odds are we're probably going to have him on. I can't give you a guaranteed date. I can't promise you he's going to be on. But we're going to work our best to get them on. Uh, now let's switch over to Facebook, which you can find us on at facebook.com slash gamers tavern. Uh, this is from Anna Meyer, who said, Found your podcast recently and have enjoyed a couple of episodes, and it's great. I'm a fantasy map maker, and listening to high-quality podcasts about games and gaming is the perfect inspiration. Thank you for making such a great podcast. Well, Anna, I would like to say thank you very much for your kind words, and thank you very much for doing what you're doing, because I can't draw maps for shit. Here's my method for drawing fantasy maps. I order the greasiest pizza I can find in town, I flip the box upside down, I count to three, I flip it back, and open up. Whatever grease has stuck to the lid, I outline in pen, and then I make a map out of that. That's how... (laughs) crappy my method of making fantasy world maps is you do not want to know what i do for dungeon maps but anna thank you for listening and and actually had a question later on in the comments thread that we had asking about uh are we going to talk about technology and gaming well that was episode six of the podcast so i'm glad we got that instant feedback you wanted and was able to immediately satisfy your needs by providing a podcast that we had already recorded that happened to be the subject you were wondering about. So I really want to thank you for listening and I want to thank all our listeners. Uh, We've got one last comment here. Uh, His username is the Grumpy Celt or the Grumpy Celt, depending on how pedantic you are about pronunciations. I'm not getting into that debate, but he says... Your show is rapidly becoming one of my favorite podcasts. It is always good to hear from Mr. Baker, and a spirited conversation is a good thing. He is obviously talking about our last episode, which we had guest Keith Baker on, who is the designer of Eberron, Gloom, The Doom That Came to Atlantic City, and many other games and products you may have read. Uh, yeah, we... Well, I don't want to say we. Specifically, me 
and Keith kind of got into it a little bit when it comes to uh, he and I. If you listen to the podcast and listen to what we say, we actually see eye to eye on this issue. We both completely agree, but we got a little bit heated at one point when we're talking about NPCs and gaming, and I'm really of the school, you want to make sure they have motivations, and he was talking about a noble horrors from Beyond the Stars, and really, if you listen to what we're saying, we're actually agreeing with each other, and Keith's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time via social media and everything. I haven't met him in person yet, unfortunately. I can't wait to, hopefully soon. But yeah, Keith's an awesome guy. He and I just were kind of playing devil's advocate off of each other on that. There were no hurt feelings. There were no real harsh words exchanged. Yeah, we're cool. So don't worry about that. Yeah, it was a really good discussion, though, and... I learned a lot listening to it again, and I hope that you guys learned something too in terms of how to create really resonant NPCs for your game and really resonant villains for your game. And that is it for comments for this week. I'd like to thank you once again for listening and thank our guests for appearing. Uh, Let's go ahead and get through the legal stuff. This episode of the Gamers Tavern is licensed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, no derivatives license. Please visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gamers Tavern and visit our sponsors at gamerstavern.org. You can also support the show by clicking on the donate button Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, the tavern is closed. Okay, and I may need just a second. Uh, My mom is making the pecan pies for tomorrow, and she needs some of my bourbon. Whoa. Yum. I want want pecan pie. Also bourbon. (laughs) You know what? I just want the bourbon. Who's got bourbon? I do, I do. We are definitely recording this part. Blackmail material. Cool. Are, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you I'm, ready, Daryl? I'm ready. But okay, actually, uh, I'm, actually, I am not ready. I just realized I'm going to be interrupted in a second. Okay. Let me get let me get mom her bourbon first. Okay. <laughs> we are so recording that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I am not. I would not eat a pecan pie without bourbon. I'm sorry. Okay, guys, my mother has her bourbon now, so... Hooray, so we're ready to start. We're ready? Only half an hour later than usual. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I, uh, I had to come home early today because the landlord was coming by with an appraiser, and so I had to come home early to hide the cats in the car, <laughs> and then my, girl- <laughs> and my girlfriend was going to drive over to the library and hang out there and, and read while the cats were in the, in the car with her, and... He was here, but he showed up two hours early, Whoops. so I get here at the same time he does. Oops. Now, luckily, he has to do a bunch of stuff outside. We just kind of got the cat squirreled away in a room, and the second he goes around behind the house, we smug, we rush out to the, the car with him. You know, <laughs> cat's just not happy about it. Throw him in the car, and she jets. But then she gets back around 4.30, and she's like, do we have time to go to the store? I have to get this stuff for Thanksgiving, and they're going to close at, like, 8. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we go, and literally I get the Ross, the text from Ross as I'm – Trying to load my arms with groceries. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to get our episode started here. I'm going to bring us in. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of The Gamer's Tavern. I'm Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. 
And tonight we have with us Mac Martin, and we're going to be talking tonight about gaming and film. Uh, how are you doing, Mac? 